We're continuing in our Sunday school class on J.G. Voss's The Covenant of Grace. I hear the book came in. So we're on Lesson 9. Lesson 9. We did The Covenant of Grace in the Christian Family. The uh, argument being multiple through the text, the largest one uh, simply being God deals in salvific ways. Uh, very much in being with who we are as humans and what we are as humans and not just mere individualism. That's um, the history of, of Baptists or independency in the American scene especially. But as families, groups, uh, especially that way, family, biological families. But of course not exclusively. Again, it's always in God's sovereign decision. So lesson nine is the covenant of grace and infant baptism. The covenant of grace and infant baptism. He uh, reads out some of the confession Westminster Confession of Faith, 28.4, not only those that do actually profess faith in, in and obedience unto Christ, but also infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. The larger catechism question, 166, baptism is not to be administered to any that are out of the visible church, and so strangers from the covenant of promise, so they profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him, but infants descended from parents, either or both, or about one of them professing faith in Christ and obedience to him, are, in that respect, within the covenant, and to be baptized. Now, of course, uh, I mentioned under the prior chapters of salvation, being in the covenant of grace as an outward expression doesn't mean you're saved. Even Baptists don't believe every adult is saved. So that's not the debate. The debate is who gets to be members of the visible church. That's the debate. Don't let them sidetrack you. Thinking about, well, maybe they're not really saved. Well, plenty of adults lying, cheating, becoming, pretending to be pastors and the like. That's not really the debate. The debate is, what saith the Lord in those regards? And uh, uh, infallible grounds for this. This is why uh, we are here as Presbyterian and uh, why we are in this chapter. So, we have some scripture references here from Voss, Romans 6 4, Genesis 17 7, uh, 7 through 10 essentially, Colossians 2 11. Acts 2.39. Uh, Acts 2.39 is uh, the clearest in the sense of you read it and there it is and you have to struggle with this, wrestle with this text. Covenant promise belongs not only to believers but also to the children and to those who are far off. We read that last week in Acts 2.39, Peter in his sermon, the Pentecost sermon, uh, to the Jews. Jewish audience, not a Gentile audience. The Gentile question doesn't come up for a couple of years later in Acts, as you recall. They just kind of said, oh, of course, because the promise is given to Abraham. We're, we're, we're sons and daughters of Abraham. We get Jesus Christ. We get to be. Peter gives them a hint of that, of course, into those who are far off also are given the promise. And uh, it makes sense then because it was not a debate. It was never the debate. Are children part of the promise? Right? You don't see that anywhere in Acts. Because it's assumed. We have to find the text saying this is no longer the case. You have that in the case of Hebrews with respect to the whole ceremonial system explicating the sacrifices by name, the temple, and the priests saying Christ has fulfilled all that. But you don't see children being part of the covenant being fulfilled anywhere in Hebrews that is being done away with in Hebrews. Uh, so from that hermeneutical perspective that there is one covenant of grace which we established in prior chapters, um, one, can, one does make that argument that where is it? The burden of proof is on those who wish to exclude children and the more gracious expression of the same covenant, not the less gracious. Um, that's essentially one argument in a nutshell. Uh, the other argument, which is what I like as well, is a logical or deductive or syllogistic reasoning, which is 
how we do uh, many things in life, even if we don't think of it explicitly. We do that with respect to being human, right? All humans are mortal. What does it mean, die? All humans are what's thought. Boy is human, therefore mortal. Nothing made, nothing up my sleeve, nothing made, right? <clears throat> Same with this. Um, Old Testament uh, circumcision, Old Testament circumcision included infants. New Testament baptism replaces, therefore, New Testament baptism and facilitism. So, no one can argue the major one, which is the Old Testament circumcision included. You're not going to argue with somebody who disagrees with that. <laughs> Obviously, they were. The second one, which is the secondary or the minor premise, the New Testament baptism replaces Old Testament circumcision. That has to be proved. And it can be proved. Anybody know where? It's in, it's in the book. This is not an advanced uh, quiz. I'm not trying to be sneaky. It's in the book. Bible verses there in the book. Luann? No. Dan? No. I mean, those might be helpful verses for other things, but for this syllogism, syllogism specifically. Thank you. Colossians 2, 11, and 12. Can you read that? Yeah, everyone's like looking at it. Oh, there it is. In the scripture reference section. Boss gave you the answer. Uh-huh. So I'll go ahead and read it. I have it here. Mark it ahead of time. Colossians 2, 11, and 12. And he's speaking to his Christian audience. In him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Already he's talking to New Testament Christians using Old Testament imagery, which tells you the obvious connection, the intimate connection between the Testaments, that they are the same religion, the same salvation, because it's the same Christ. It's just one was looking forward and one is looking backwards, right? You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And what is that? Old Testament language in Deuteronomy and elsewhere. Pardon? The heart. Yeah. It's the circumcision of the heart. Or the word we use in, in theology is regeneration, being born again in Old Testament language. By, what's the circumcision without hands? By the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So uh, Christ has given us the gift of regeneration, right? Buried with him. It's the same sentence. Now he's talking about being buried talks about putting off the flesh, talks about circumcision. So he's using these imageries and stacking them, isn't he? He hasn't changed the subject. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So he goes from circumcision to baptism in the blink of an eye. Because they're the same in Paul's theology. They're the same with respect to the moral signification of the events. Obviously they are externally different. One's wet and one's not. What they represent, what they signify, in particular, the regeneration. It signified regeneration in the Old Testament, right? Putting off of the flesh, the circumcision of the heart. And yet it was given to who? Infants. It represents the same thing in the New Testament. So that can't be the debate against, that can't be an argument against it. Well, it represents regeneration. Why give it to kids? It did the same thing in the Old Testament. And Paul's making... An equivalent here, moral equivalent. This is the same thing in his mind, his language. You all see that? Quite incredible. It does that often, as I mentioned before. Uh, the New Testament writers do that. They talk about sacrifices of praise. They're like, sacrifice? We don't do sacrifices today. What are you talking about? Using Old Testament language to express the same moral truth in both Testaments. So, that syllogism, QED, has been accomplished. The Mosaic Covenant, of course, um, is uh, part of the argument about infant baptism. Um, because it's carry on, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, 
was renewed in the Mosaic Covenant. So it wasn't as though the Mosaic Covenant came along and ignored the uh, Abrahamic Covenant. But uh, also another text here, the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission? Matthew 28. Remember what it says? Who are you supposed to baptize? How do you baptize nations? Well, the, the individual Baptist argument is you, you're supposed to go and go to the world and baptize individuals. But it doesn't say baptize individuals. It says baptize nations or ethnos. Here there would be more or less equivalent out of the Greek word. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end, making disciples of nations and teaching them to observe all things, includes baptizing them and their children. We, again, I had argued prior and God deals with humans as humans more than just simply and merely we'll deny that, obviously. <clears throat> Families can be divided and rend- rend asunder, Christ tells us. So, uh, Voss uh, doesn't unpack that syllogism the way I did. Um, that's an old um, argument in Presbyterianism a long time ago. We go through his works here. Explains um, about signs and seals, the covenant of grace. He does give a partial syllogism. Uh, there, well, you have a different pagination. Question one, what unsatisfactory method is often used in the priority of infant baptism? Um, does not depend upon isolated proof texts. What he's saying is, uh, he's, he's granting that there isn't a text that says, thou shalt baptize infants in the New Testament era. Okay, And it's, not, and it's the same thing for a lot of doctrines, as a matter of fact. It doesn't say, thou shalt believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Say that. You make logical deductions. I've gone over that before, the hermeneutical method, and uh, I'm not going to rehash that. So here he explains baptism is the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. The children of believers are included in the covenant of grace. So that would have to be proven, which was proven in the prior chapter. Therefore, the children of believers are entitled to baptism, which is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. So that's another syllogism. If you can demonstrate that they are part of the covenant of grace. And they certainly were. Abrahamic covenant was the covenant of grace. The Mosaic Covenant was a renewal, the old language of the covenant of grace, of the Abrahamic Covenant. And we have it again in the New Testament era. So, baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. The children of believers are included in the covenant of grace. And, of course, whoever is included in the covenant of grace should be given the sign of the covenant of grace. That's the other premise he didn't put in here. So, it's actually, therefore, children should be baptized. Um, number three, what is meant by saying that the children of believers are included in the covenant of grace? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are born again any more than adults who make a profession of faith and lie and prove otherwise in life and time. And, uh, it means that all children of believers are born into the external sphere of the covenant of grace, or the external church in particular, that the covenant of privileges belongs to them by birth, that the covenant obligations rest upon them from infancy, and that it must be assumed that they are elect and regenerate in the absence of evidence which would lead to the contrary conclusion. Uh, and I think that's generally a good rule of thumb uh, to exercise. There, there's disagreement sometimes, and even Presbyterian circles about, and therefore, how do you deal with children? Um, and it's not absolutely, therefore, you assumed that they are uh, born again, uh, but that you certainly treat them that way, and you uh, shepherd them to the point where they will own the covenant, we say, and make a confession of faith on their own. To, to grow up, essentially. And be their own man or woman. Yes, Jerry. Correct. Yes. That's where you... Correct. That's where you talk about apostasy. Apostasy is, is real insofar as they are in any relationship with God. Uh, but, of course, apostasy reveals, to the extent we can know anybody's heart, 
right? We don't really know uh, that they were never saved to begin with. John tells us that. Remember the Epistle John? They went out from us. Why? Because they were never of us. Saying this is obvious. Chris, you don't know until it actually happens. And so until that time, what they would talk about traditionally in theology is you give them the uh, judgment of charity. Let's assume we did that with Americans. We assume that you know they're not a nut job progressive, although that's changing now. <laughs> and you, you deal with them like, a, like an American. You make certain assumptions that Americans think a certain way, and they do generally. And uh, we agree there's certain freedoms and everything else until you find out otherwise. You're like, oh, this guy's really off the rocker, or this guy's a communist, or this guy's a traitor. They've violated what it means to be an American. Uh, so it's very much the same thing uh, in the church. Why? Because, again, God made humans, whether in business relationships, whether in uh, national relationships or family relationships, human. It's the same, a lot of the same stuff, and it happens in the church. It, it hasn't Being born again doesn't change those human relationships. Yes, Joanne. When you feed a baby, you feed them everything? Well, you feed yes. so that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you treat your children growing up as American citizens who are not traitors. If we still believe in the traitor concept in America. I do, but most don't. About half the populace doesn't. Uh, so I think we understand that concept. And there is a time when they grow up and they finally become their own person. You find out, are they really going to be an American? Are they going to end up joining the communist cause? Which is the old problem or the progressive cause today. And betray everything our, for, our forefathers believed and fought for. Believe in continuity of institutions. Be Baptist. They're making decisions for other people's children's children. That's what our forefathers didn't give. Giving us a constitution that we were bound. I was born into this constitution. I didn't get a choice in the matter. What's up with that, man? Where's my independency? And that's what progressives are doing. Destroying it by this radical individual territory. And it's in the church. But on the flip side, for those of us who are conservative, and if we're not Baptists, you have not, you have probably lots of Baptist friends, that God doesn't do anything different in the, in the church in many ways. Kids grow up. You, train, you teach them and train them like they're Christians. And then you hope they profess Christ. Now, you don't have a profession of being an American. You just profess by your actions. You're going to grow up to be a communist and, and get into trouble and murder somebody and get drunk all the time. You're like, what kind of American is that? The kids have betrayed what I trained, uh, raised them with. Same in the church. So, um, continues question five. How can we answer those who say that infants... Uh, children of believers may be unregenerate, and therefore they should not receive baptism. Our, I had already uh, dealt with that before. Um, what is meant by baptismal regeneration? Uh, that has been taught um, in some, or something like it, apparently, in some uh, Reformed circle. Very, very few, like 100 years. Uh, whereas children are in, uh, baptized, they are regenerate by baptism. That's not what we believe in. Roman Catholics teach that. Maybe they don't call regeneration. It's the washing away of originals in, in the act of baptism. Technical phrase, right? In the very act itself. We don't believe that. We believe the Holy Spirit does it before, during, or after baptism. It may have happened during baptism. We don't deny that. But it would be the Spirit doing it, not the water per se. <clears throat> um, so, number seven, what abuses of infant baptism are common in American um, Presbyterianism? Promiscuous infant baptism, that is the practice of baptizing any and all infants whose Parents request it regardless of whether or not the parents are themselves professing Christians. I'm, I suppose that happens uh, in the liberal churches or the moderates. It hasn't ever happened in conservative circles, Presbyterians that I'm aware of. Yes. Yeah. Afterwards, meet God. I asked him, but All kinds, Dan. You mean the halfway covenant? Well, I, I never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that just wasn't the practice in the Bible. It wasn't the practice of baptized if one of the parents are Christian. We see that specifically, where it says your child is holy, separate, unique. There's something unique about this kid. And that's why um, a lot of Baptists have 
child dedication services, which is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> there is baptism and infant baptism. Um, so that very clearly just ties it to that the first generation, the parents and kids. One of the parents has to be professing Christian. Yes, Jody. But if the grandparents, if the, the grandparents were their parents, is what you're saying. Yes. The parents really. Yeah, if, they, if the grand, which is happening more and more, by the way, it's very sad. I read a story about that, and the, you know, you know, you know, the middle work, working middle class is dying out in America, literally, and a lot of suicide. Uh, they call them um, not depression, crazy death, um, and so they're killing themselves because their grandparents are taking it very sad. But yeah, if the, if the grandparents have custody of them, they ought to baptize. Them. Yes. Yeah, I would baptize. <laughs> I forgot about that. And I think it was African here with us today. We had a family member like that. Or a family member, a church member. Anybody remember her name? Some of you, some of you older people? Judy. Yeah. She was raised Presbyterian, baptized. She left it, went on her own for decades. And came back and found us. She's like, I'm home. Uh, what is meant uh, uh, The second thing is a formalism and neglect of baptismal vows on the part of both parents and children. If infant, if, if infant baptism is to be mere formality or a mere ceremony for uh, attaching a name to a baby, it cannot be justified. Rightly considered, it involves the most solemn obligations on the part of the parents. Obligations which descend to the children when they, te when they teach years. Um, it must be reached. Just a typo here. When they reach years of discretion, gross formalism and gross neglect of baptismal vows, especially on the part of parents, has become a terrible scandal. I agree with that. Again, uh, in non-Presbyterian circles, um, at least in my experience, uh, they like to go to Abraham... 17, where God says, you know, you're going to, I know Abraham's going to struck by his family and the ways of the Lord. In other words, they're arguing you have an obligation to your kids, even though we don't believe you're supposed to have the obligation of baptism. And they're quoting the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant to Jews. So this is weird mishmash with our perspective. Lesson 10. Um, this is interesting. Uh, I'm not quite sure the background of this. I'm not going to cover a lot of it. Lesson 10 of his book is The Covenant of Grace and Church Membership of Children. So if you're going to baptize, if he's already, already arguing for baptism of children, not much of a step to say they're obviously they're members of the church. Uh, so I think what he's arguing against, and he mentions it a few times here, but he doesn't drill it, doesn't just out, outright say it, um, that people talk as though when the child who was baptized in infancy finally makes a public profession of faith, and uh, we believe you're going to have to have that. The, the debate with the Baptists is when they want to have it right at the baptism. We just say, well, it can happen later. It's okay because they're a kid. Um, to make a public vow. We don't give vows or oaths. I'm using them in the common vernacular today. Seven-year-olds, right? As though they're adults who know all the implications and what what it means to come to church and be responsible and vote on the budget and be, be aware of the pastor's teaching and bring charges if you need. See, all that, that's adult stuff. Again, um, from natural law, we're like the children, the same thing. They're in the covenant. They're members of the church. They don't become members when they make a public profession of faith. That's his argument. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. They are members. Children of America are members before they're adults. <laughs> um, again, we don't have a public profession of Americanism, but you have it by practice, right? <laughs> Will they break the law? Will they betray the American ideals or your family's instruction in ideals and the like? So, yeah. first makes this parallel here. Yes, Diana. You're given responsibilities, but we don't have we don't have to stand up before the the world and say, "Hey, you know, I, I take the I, I pledge the allegiance." Although we used to have a pledge of allegiance in the schools, <laughs> I, I did the pledge of pledge of allegiance to some of the schools, so still bled into the 70s. And that's not the same thing 
as telling them, you know, you did that when you're eight, just becomes, hey, this is just a school thing. Yes? No. Make it real easy, especially in Chicago. Yeah, especially in California now, yeah. Why not? No, we don't have that. I'm not against that. Why not? Why, why wouldn't we do something? It's too late now. We're, we're too divided. Right? Pardon? It's jokes again. Back in the day, when I was a kid, yeah, now they teach you how to have abortions. So. Come a long way, haven't we? Yeah. So, uh, number five, are, infant, are infants baptized because they are church members, or are they church members because they are baptized? Catch that? Who's read this yet? So, can I actually ask that question to this group of people? I haven't read it, but I have. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I see a red light. Battery works. Baptism is a badge or a recognition of church membership. It does not make a person a church member. Um, a birth certificate or passport is a badge or evidence of American citizenship. Does not make a person a citizen. It is a citizen first, and he gets the passport later as evidence of his citizenship. That's why um, you can have the occasions. It's much more common now in America, unfortunately, of Christians who haven't been baptized or joined the church. We're not saying you're not necessarily Christian, but you ought to. You ought, you, God tells you you've got to be baptized. Like, so you're baptized because you already made the profession. You already believed in your heart. You were born again. You gave evidence to the to the session. And that's why you become baptized. You don't just give baptism, baptism promiscuously to anybody on the street. People do that with the Lord's Supper. I don't know if they do that with baptism. Um, you know, we have uh, new members here who's telling me about that, how the, the kids are, are given the Lord's Supper um, they just assume. Um, they, I guess they do that with baptism too. When I was at that uh, event, Lollapalooza, whatever that was called, Heaven Fest, they had that big pool. I don't think there was there was no pastor there. Uh, just some guys like, yeah, sure, I'll start dunking people. You believe in Christ? Yep, dunk. They're already already flipping with uh, baptism. Our children are our children an inferior or secondary kind of church member. We already basically mentioned that before, and he just unpacks the analogy of citizenship. Uh, Whereas, uh, again, children who don't have full responsibilities cannot vote, cannot drink, cannot go to war, etc. Et we don't look at them and say, well, you're not a real American. No, they're real Americans with limited um, rights and res- therefore responsibilities. They have lesser responsibilities. They're supposed to go together, which they don't in America. Rights are supposed to go with your responsibility. If you're not responsible, you ain't getting no rights. Sorry. That's what happens or used to happen uh, when you broke the law, for example. <laughs> you lost the freedom, the right to move around and do what you will. Now you're confined in a... You know, six by six or what. So that's that's the analogy. And again, the analogy makes sense if salvation and the way God constituted the church and the kingdom of God doesn't change human relationships, but actually assumes them and reinforces them, i.e. being family members, for example. Yes, Trip. A member of the church. Of the, um, Let me rephrase, yeah, it, it, rephrase my point. Yeah. The Orthodox Presbyterian Church teaches that you're a member of the covenant, covenant. Correct. The local church. Sure. Thank you. Correct. Yeah, I think he would agree. Uh, his language is probably a little um, uh, looser there. Yeah, um, you know, that always happens. You use someone else's book and you don't want to change it. And I, I missed that right there. You're correct. I, in my head, I read who's covenant grace. So, in case you didn't hear that, um, when you're born again, when you're born into the covenant, like children are, you're members of the covenant. They haven't been baptized yet, so they're members of a local church, per se. Gets that? Because the church isn't exactly the covenant or the kingdom. So you have three extra words in the Bible. God is broader than physical, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical residing right here. So 
Uh, Trip is uh, correct. Yeah. Because traditionally, Catholic approach. Okay. Whereas without baptism, yeah. you mm-hmm. and the car baptize you in the last rites. You put it in premise. Like, correct. And the Catholic Church done. It's opera operato. We believe in the faith. Correct. <laughs> yeah, the, the historical, that, that distinction that Chippers bring up, I really hope, is correct. Because the debate was with the Roman Catholics are like, if you don't give baptism, you're not going to heaven. Because you haven't washed away original sin, one thing. <laughs> um, and uh, we're like, no, no. Infants dying in infancy go to heaven. <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, whoa. Is that I was first? It's the Harvey family, and you're the head of the family, so you're first, sir. She, she gets to ask a question to you. She may even say the same thing. The Roman Catholic Church, even after a baby or a rabbi, they will still be... Even after their dad? In the hospital, I was asking unbaptized. Yeah. What you have in the Catholic Church, my understanding is I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't raised Roman Catholic. I don't really know any Roman Catholics intimately. It's a Catholic hospital. I understand that. That may be what they do there, but that may not be the doctrine by the church's standard, as Tripp pointed out. That's very common in the American scene. The American scene, they're just like, whatever, who cares? We'll do our own thing in the, in the Roman Catholic churches locally or whatever. So I think there's a lot of unspoken little things that yeah. they do that they don't talk about. Yeah, sure. They will come by. They will come and baptize someone who's never been baptized, but they don't announce they baptized dead Fred today. And <laughs> okay, so. He's going to heaven now. <laughs> or at least purgatory, excuse me. Right. He, he's halfway to heaven. You still got to pray for him to get out of purgatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think a lot of things happen. I was raised in Catholic Yeah. Yeah, they get, I mean, you know, it's America. They do that in the Protestant churches as well. Just fly by night <laughs> organizations, fly by the seat of their pants and whatever works. When uh, my wife and I used to uh, visit some sick church members at the um, nursing home, um, <laughs> Uh, it was Mary, uh, right? Rose. Rose. Yeah, it was Rose. Uh, she was telling us how some of the friends she has there, uh, they would have the Lord's Supper. Oh, really? Yeah, they would They would get a candy bar and water or something like that. Remember that? It's like, is it, isn't that hard, really, to get bread of some sort? Is that, that complicated? You could say, whatever, I just feel like whatever makes me feel holy, that's what it is in America. Yes, Diana. Yes, the confession says, yeah, the confession, the confession points out, because it's biblical, uh, the sacraments cannot stand by themselves. It's word and sacraments. Sac- the sacraments might as well just be pagan rituals, to summarize, uh, to paraphrase Calvin, if you do not have the preaching of the word, and the gospel in particular, to attend and to go along with the sacraments. Amen. Yes, Jerry. I, I, how does your dad's only... Is it all like another like pastors in our denomination? Yes, priests are like pastors, yeah. Have. Yeah. Yeah, so functionally what you have then, and we're talking about Roman Catholics, we have a lot of experience. Um, well, functionally what you have historically, and what we see here in America is, as much as they rant and rave against the Protestants having a thousand and one denominations, they functionally have a thousand and one denominations. Yeah, they're all Roman Catholics, so they put on a facade of being united, but like you said, every little church does their own little thing, even significant differences. And the bishops probably don't care if they even know about it. And then the archbishops in the whole hierarchy. It's just all yaka 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 yaka. Uh, and uh, that was the way it was historically as well. By the time of the Reformation, they had major divisions, major uh, schools within the Roman Catholic Church. And you know, one of them that got expelled was the Augustinian school, essentially. Um, what was it, Jen, Jensen? I can't remember. Yeah. One of the closest after, and they got kicked out. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's big. It's big ten. Yeah, it's big ten. Very, very global tent. Yes. Probably not. When I was working. Only when they got. The Jesuits did that. The Jesuits did that. I remember the stories and missionary efforts as well. Pagans weren't looking. <laughs> Baptized the kid. Look, we're growing the church. It's wonderful. Yeah, the Mormons would go through the list of the of dead people and claim them as part of their lineage. Yeah. Yeah, I hope they don't have my, 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 my family. Yes, Jerry. Okay, one more, and I'm going to finish this. Go ahead, Mary. No, that's not a Lutheran doctor, but Lutherans are their own little animal. I always tell people. They're like, do you think there's Christians who believe X, Y, Z? I'm like, if we're in America, it's probably the case. Somewhere. <laughs> the reason it's alive is a on the dirt. There you go! <laughs> Jesus spat in the dirt, made some mud, so there we can baptize with spit. Yes. No, I said that was the last one. Though. Uh, number eight, what are what are the duties of the church to the children and its membership? I like to remind people of that. I don't know what they do in independent. Yeah. Probably very similar. They just don't say it out loud. Duties here. The church should administer the sacrament of baptism to them. The church should teach them that they are church members and that this is a high privilege and honor. The church should teach its children the word of God and the way of salvation in the name of Christ. should urge and command them to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. They should make uh, should be made conscious of their covenant obligations as well as God's covenant promises. The church should impress upon its children the duty when they reach the proper age of making a personal public profession of faith and partaking of the Lord's Supper. The children of the church are subject to the discipline of the church, regardless of whether or not they have made a public profession of faith and have been admitted to the Lord's Supper. We have an obligation, both positive and negative, to, of the church. And um, this is this is important so far as helping them um, own the covenant, especially in this day and age of a fragmented society. We don't have continuity within local community. Places change constantly, uh, and we don't live near each other. Baptism, historically, was not vacuum. God designed family, although God is greater than survive. We're not living in persecution on church uh, and the like, so God is good. We are still called to do what? John Quincy and ours. Let us pray. We are thankful and so joyous, God, to be reminded and encouraged in the summary fashion here of uh, important truths that children part the covenant. We ask, Lord, for our children and the children to come, our grandchildren, God, and they would embrace Jesus Christ, that your spirit work through your word, grace given upon them, God. Help us, Lord, to be examples to the children. Watch us. You can instruct them, Lord, even without a word, insofar as that we are faithful to grace ourselves and to follow your word and to speak of your wonderful gospel.